0: this is Career Competitor and it is the podcast that believes we all have a competitive self that drives our optimal performance in our careers and within our lives. My name is Steve Meller, and in the past 15 years, having been a coach to high performers, Olympians, business owners, executives across all walks of life, I have come to find that Competitiveness comes from within, and I'm going to be using this podcast to really showcase how competitors from all walks of life are finding optimal performance and have built the careers that they have today. Hello there and welcome in to this episode of Career Competitor where today I have the privilege of welcoming in a friend of mine, Dr. Dennis Covier and he'll be getting the introduction he deserves here very shortly, but to give you Just some insight into what we'll be discussing. Within the conversation, Dennis and I dive into why you must respect and acknowledge the value that you've created for yourself. Secondly, we dive into the importance of value alignment within teams. And finally, we cover how resilience is built by a willingness to stretch beyond your comfort zone. So all of this and more within the conversation today, and for anyone who is curious to go and learn more about Dennis and the work that he's doing, please head to drdeniscovier.com. That's drdeniscovier.com, where you can learn all about Dennis's offerings, the 20-something books that Dennis has authored, all the variety of things that he has done over almost four decades now of business consulting. And I'm just excited to dive into this today. We're going to cover... Just enough so we hit every single desire that you may have as an avid listener of Career Competitor. So without any further delay, let's welcome in Dr. Dennis Covier to this episode of Career Competitor. And I hope you all enjoy. Hey, before we carry on with this episode, let me bring your attention to a link that you'll find right there in the show notes so that you can subscribe to my monthly email. It's just going to give you some awesome insights on who it is I am, what it is I've got going on and maybe there'll be one or two food for thoughts in there that can stimulate your process, get you to get a little unstuck, get you to take a little bit more action and maybe get you a little closer to optimal performance as you start to shape a stronger version of your optimal self. Go ahead, click that link in the show notes so you can become part of the ever-growing email list that's receiving this awesome insight each and every month, courtesy of me and courtesy of Career Competitor. Now, back to the episode. Okay, our Career Competitor today has developed a global reputation for what it means to deliver content and insights that truly impact the leadership and functionality of an organization, whether it be through his role as the adjunct professor, as the president or CEO within one of his three businesses, or across the highly impressive career as a writer, it's fair to say our guest understands what it means to incorporate competitive strategic advantages. Furthermore, when you consider statistics such as training 2.3 million professionals worldwide, providing a combined increase of $271 million in client profits and, and I believe this stat says everything you need to know, almost 90% of all clients rehire our guest, which means he must be providing a value that's worth keeping around. Referred to in a variety of ways, such as speaker, consultant, author, mentor, professor, coach by so many, I've got the pleasure to be able to introduce our guest simply as a friend. It's my pleasure to welcome to Career Competitor, my friend, Dr. Dennis Covier. Dennis, how are we doing? Doing great, Steve. Wow, what an introduction, man. I,
1: I don't know if I should be at the edge of my seat. Or I should take a nap after that. <laughs> but
0: uh, <laughs> You've hey, been busy. You had me you've friends, been busy, man. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> uh, absolutely. We've been friends for a number of <sighs> years. And, um, I just, I'm admiring the trajectory that you're on, mm. and uh, you've been very kind to share some of the exciting things you're doing to uh, to connect and impact the lives of your clients and their people. So yeah, delighted to be here and very open just to have a conversation and share some ideas.
0: Yeah, and in, in so many ways, it's long overdue. There's always been a reason for you to come on. And you know, I, I think the way in which you go about the work that you do, one thing I've noticed from the very moment that we've gotten to know each other is that the content and the insights that you're providing business leaders around the world is consistently relevant. It's consistently relevant. So there's literally never a bad time for you to come on a show like this when we talk about what it means to have that competitive edge, whether it be individually or collectively across Mm -hmm. an organization. So I'm just curious. One thing I always like to just ask guests when they come on is, what's the typical day looking like right now if you are busy how are you busy why are you busy sort of get us up to date with the you know we're talking now in august it's probably going to come out september 2023 what's what's the world of dennis covier looking like at the moment
1: yeah yeah it's uh certainly in the middle of summer so typically not as many conferences and that kind of stuff which is great because it's a uh, time for me to do some reflection do some writing work on the next book also i am i'm sort of a a closet carpenter, if you want to call it that. Uh, I love, you know, getting off the computer and using my hands and trying to create things. So we've got a big property here. I'm always. Yesterday, I was up on a roof <laughs> building extension. But work wise, of course, things changed with COVID. Right mm-hmm. prior to COVID, I was working, you know, uh, repeatedly in sixty different countries in different capacities, from keynote speaker to customized training programs, coaching, consulting, all intermixed. But of course. COVID shut all that down. There's been a lot of work in Canada where I'm based out of, lots of work in the states. Uh very slow in the international. A lot of those countries have been reticent to open up their borders. They're opening at the borders now. Things are ramping up. It's the hockey stick, it's taking off. <laughs> Portugal, Spain, of stuff, Middle East all coming in this fall. So tons of stuff going on. So a lot of it is just really working with meeting planners, large conferences, trying to understand their themes and how I can work obviously within those themes and to try to provide some very and I'm gonna use your word relevant Okay, that's a key word, you know, I mean, we have mm. to be relevant and uh, and just say, okay, well, what can I do uh, with my messaging and the takeaway resources that's really gonna provide them not only inspiration. I mean, yes, as a keynote speaker, you do you don't want them falling asleep, sure. but you drew, I believe, and I know you're wired the same way, and I uh, and, you know and I we shared some great uh, stories recently, but when you speak, There's tons of energy, but there's so many nuggets. Even if you're talking, for example, for 15 minutes, Stephen, I love that about you. You're delivering real value, takeaway golden nuggets that can impact your audience. And and again, that's the stuff that I pride myself on doing. And and, uh, you got to make them feel good. But at the end of the day, you got to feed them some steak too. It can't be just the desserts.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I appreciate it too. And I'm going to have to keep you to like maybe just two or three compliments for the, the host. The host, I'm not here to be complimented. The guest gets the compliments, not the host. Uh,
1: it's all good. But I uh, know there's just a lot of synergy in how we see the world.
0: So that's cool. 100%. And, and so I love this because it allows me to get right to something I wanted to cover, which is the you're an educator at heart. Like you, Dr. Dennis Kovier, right there in the title. You you do some part time uh, professor work with a couple uh, two two different universities. Is three. that right? Yeah. Three. yeah, yeah, three three. So again, you have this natural urge, let's say, to be there to educate, be there to mm-hmm. inspire, be there to encourage. I'm just curious because I've never quite gotten the the genesis of this whole journey that you go on, and I would love to start there. Is when did you maybe first notice that there is this true natural tendency? It's like, hey. Not only do I want to be in the room, but I actually want to be the one who's maybe getting the attention and being the one heard and being the one who's right, actually right, influencing right. these people in the room too.
1: 12 years old is the answer. <laughs> and you put some context around that. So I'm a martial artist. I've done martial arts for many, many years, started doing judo. And at the age of 12, been in judo for about, probably about a year and a half of that time. And as you know, with any of the martial arts, you go through the various belts, your ranks, And one of the things that's expected is that as you go through the ranks, you get to certain color belts, you're now expected to be able to teach others. And in fact, as you get to more senior belts, that is also part of what you're being graded on is not just your ability to do, but your ability to teach others. And I found myself at the age of 12 working with some adults. Of course, there were little wee kids that started. There were kids my age. or was teenagers. But there were literally several of the judoka, the judo students, were ages of my parents. I didn't have a hang-up on that. Some people did. They, you know, they thought, you know, who am I? And I was reminded by my sensei at a very young age, said, Dennis, you know, the parents, these people that you're, that you're working with, they know way more about life. They know way more about so many things than you know as a kid. However, look at the color of the belt. Your Mm. color is way darker than their belt. So you're there to teach and coach them on judo, not on parenting or something. (laughs) Right, Um, right. And it was a real eye-opener for me that it was a context of knowing that you had value. It was a validation Mm. that I had value to offer, but I liked it. I found that I had a natural affinity for training, coaching others, and it wasn't it wasn't really until working my way through university college years, working at a pizza hut, that um, I decided to take the reins and I was assistant manager. And I basically kind of took over the place and treated every shift as an independent profit center with all sorts of inducements of free pizza that they could take back home to their families or whatever, if they met all the benchmarks that I had created. And because, and happily, this is good leadership too that Tom, the guy that owned that franchise and a bunch of other franchises, Pizza Hut's in the area, we were the most profitable because he gave me latitude to play. And mm. then when I went to university my first couple of years and studying all this theoretical stuff on leadership principles and marketing and sales and customer behavior, I turned that little Pizza Hut into my living laboratory. Um, <laughs> and it was great. It was, it was great because, you know, I had the, it took the initiative to do that. My teammates that were part of my team I guess, gave me permission to be their leader. And our collective leader, the owner, uh, he just kept on looking at the profitability was was just taken off. Uh, customer, uh, you know, complaints had brought him out to nothing. Um, and all his key drivers were were very favorable. So it's there when I said, hmm, maybe, maybe I have a knack for this within the business realm as well. And it was that point because I was destined to be a banker and I just graduated, became a banker and didn't really love that. But I I, I loved this coaching and training stuff. So I decided that 34 years ago, Steve, to hang my shingle in the middle of a recession, brand new mortgage, about to have our first child, wife still, you know, finishing up with, with school and all that stuff. And all the 101 reasons why don't launch a business. And we figured, let's do it and uh, and that's it. where a loving spouse and a supportive partner uh really comes in too. I mean yeah, I've done some wild and woolly things have been wonderful um uh, but debbie my my wife has been so supportive of the process she 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 allows me without friction to go in and try things, which is yeah. unbelievable
0: yeah, it's like a true freedom in any partnership like that when it comes to the person that you're Sharing a house with, and you know, and raising a family with, and all that kind of thing. Whether it be the man or the woman, that ability to just give the other that freedom to be them to their fullest, and, and understand why they're doing it. And clearly, at the heart of your why, it, there was some even at that young age. There's some really cool insights there that undoubtedly stuck with you, and able to build entire philosophies and teachings and trainings off of. The first thing that you said there is to focus on simply looking at the color of the belt you know to know that hey i have the value that i've actually created and earned for myself it's not about comparing hey how long have i been doing this or other ways in which you could potentially compare one person to the next in that situation you had a sensei that was able to say hey listen stop looking outwards and look right down at your waist and see the color of the belt and what you've truly earned and the value that you've created for yourself talking about relevance as well how important is that very message here 35 40 years later the importance of that very same message that that sensei was given to you back then
1: critical you know some of the the words that come to mind is you know part was was certainly a sense of confidence a certain of competency and ability but at the same token, it was a balanced message than never to become arrogant or apathetic, um, or or, condes- or have condescension towards your students. Um, one of the things that that uh, all all the black belts, when you go for your black belt uh, exam, so it's it's a very grueling mentally and physically exam. And I didn't know the tradition at it because it was uh, because I was new when I went to another dojo trained by the same master sensei. And so when I went there, I, I did. They, they walk the line. It's called. They go. what's, you know? What, what's walk the line? But basically, you've all but passed. And then what you do from the most junior belts, the white belts, right up to the old guy himself, they all get mm-hmm. to throw their favorite punch, kick, or throw. And you're you just have to block it, or, or if you're thrown, you have to do your break fall, land properly, get back up. Now you're exhausted. So the white belts, the yellow belts are pretty easy. Well, some of those mid belts, you know, your your orange and your yellow, blues, etc., greens, they're they're coming in at you and saying, "Okay, yeah, Mr. Brand New Black Belt," and they're, they're they're giving you a good shot, and you're supposed to deflect it but not hurt them. So you got to be very mindful. It takes a lot of energy. I Finally, go through the entire line, and I and I get through all the black belts. And I am sore at this time, because the black belts don't hold back a whole lot, right? So I, <laughs> so I figure, okay, has survived. But then all of a sudden, I get to the, to the old man, the master, right? And mm-hmm. he's an old fellow. And he says, oh, okay. He says, I'm not throwing a punch or anything. We're doing two minutes of open randori. Two minutes open randori means, basically, you're in the ring with this guy for two minutes. <laughs> well, I'm exhausted. So I thought, okay, the only way I'm going to survive this is right after the bow, this is in my mind, I'm going to bow and rush this guy. I'm just going to do, throw my bass at him and hope for the, the best. So it's, I come, I remember running, and then next thing I remember looking up, and I'm all woozy. Basically, yeah. I ran for him, he chucked me on the ground, threw me down, to, and knocked me out cold. Uh,
0: right.
1: Then he picked me up. This, this is the life lesson to all this, and I think it's very relevant mm. for today. Put his arm around me, and he says, he says, you've absolutely earned the black belt. But he says, remember, he says, there are 10 degrees of black belt. He says, mm. as a black belt, Dennis, you've now only really become a serious student of our craft. And I think when you're talking about building resilience, you know, one of the brand new books I've got is on building resilience, right? And resilience is such a hot topic right now. And, I mean, its I think it's one of those evergreen topics. It's always been an important topic. But how do you build resilience within your team? A lot of it has to do with, obviously, the people you surround yourself. It's the leadership. It's the culture you, you create. But it's also that, that ideology of having confidence to be bold and go try stuff and try to punch above your weight class but never become arrogant or apathetic or, or think you know it all. Mm-hmm. Remember that we're all a bunch of serious students. When you have that, because again, apathy, apathy is when you just don't care and arrogance is when you think you know it all. Well, mm-hmm. these are the kiss of death uh, to any individual, any team, any organization. The moment you believe, uh, you know, your, your bio tagline, you're in trouble,
0: <laughs> right? Right. said, going
1: to your head. The the end is near.
0: <laughs> it goes back to so much of what this show's about: the work that I do, you do, and what truly epitomizes why people even have and establish a growth mindset is where is your curiosity? Like where where are you on that curiosity spectrum? Right. Because if you are at Either ends, as you just acknowledged there, when you're at apathy, when you're in arrogance, you're really not curious at that point. You've decided that there's no information for you to obtain. And with that being said, you, you know, you've already taken us there to this, this new book on resilience. And I definitely want to go into that here in a, in a moment. Sure. But one other thing that you mentioned there back with the martial arts story was that when you get to certain levels, you're expected to teach. Mm-hmm. And you look at corporate America, you look at the global industry that is any business. A lot of the time people earn their way to certain levels, but they don't necessarily as they go appreciate the importance of giving back, looking back where they've come from and looking at it in a sense of, hey, listen, I've gone this far. What do I now want to do to pave the way for the next? And so I'm curious with the work that you're doing today, how often is that sort of sentiment coming up with the people that you're working with?
1: Yeah, I think you see that sentiment um, coming from a different, a couple of places. One place is some people that just, you know, it's out of their comfort zone. They just, they just don't know, you know, they don't know how to do it or they don't know, they don't think they're able to do it. And some people just don't want to do it. Now Mm -hmm. it's the last, the last group that really concerns me because you think about that is if someone doesn't feel that they have the confidence to, to step into that coaching leading role. Uh, or they don't have the ability. That's one thing we can help them with. That, but if somebody chooses not to, that, in my estimation, is a very hollow, shallow, self-centered. And I'm going to stop my comments there because I can go off the tracks <laughs> pretty quick. Um, that it speaks volumes to the 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 limitations of that person's character. There, that's a mm. polite way to say it.
0: Sure. like that i like that yeah
1: yeah so again now again on on that when we you know we're developing our people we got to go back to to day one and what i mean by that well unless you inherited this team at some point somebody hired this person this is where i think a whole lot more attention needs to happen on not just hiring for the position but hiring for the future They say hire for attitude and train for competence, not the other way around. Now, again, if I'm going for cranial surgery, uh, neurosurgeon, I'd like someone that was in at least a couple of days in medical school, as opposed to just, I I can do attitude, right? I mean, this can be overdone. But, I mean, if you're talking about building resilience and really moving your organization uh, successfully, you know, I want to look at some of those softer issues, I want to look to what extent is someone truly a team player? Does someone naturally have a sense of true gratitude and enthusiasm? And to what extent are they going to be a catalyst within the organization, Uh, even at the most junior positions, just through how they act? Are they going to be the spreader of, well, I'm going to spread viruses. Is it going to be the virus of mediocrity, of scarcity, of we can't do it, you know, that's not my job ideology, which is toxic? Or is it going to be a, a can-do, let's give it a shot? Hey, you know, even some upward praise? Hey, boss, that mm. was amazing. Could you teach me that? Without sucking up at a sincere... Again, this is the stuff that I want to see, In even if it's not totally defined with the person. It, they may be awkward with it. But I want to see evidence of the true character and that character being aligned with the core values. Um, value alignment is absolutely essential. And if you say, if you claim as an organization that you will have a, an agile you know, culture, in a, a culture of innovation and resilience, is that who you're looking for? Are you pre-testing that? I have programs on how to pre-test for that, how to actually interview for that, what kind of questions, what to look for, how to set the interview up, deliberately stress producing and resilience evoking questions during the interview. There's so much that can be done, even though someone say, well, that's overdoing it. You know, we're just hiring, you know, an entry-level position. Well, if well, let's go back to what is it your what is your brand promise? If you're if you deem to be, I'm going to throw some HR buzzwords, an employer mm-hmm. of choice. Mm-hmm. You can have a career from us. We promote from within. Well, if you're doing that stuff, and that means you should be taking junior people, and eventually they should be so engaged that they want to stick with you for a good chunk of their career, if not all their career, and they should take on more areas of responsibility and eventually begin to leadership roles. Well, if you haven't looked to see if the preconditions of that leadership is present, you may be faced with a real issue.
0: Mm-hmm. It's the, the this sheer notion of value alignment immediately. What I love about the term is that, yes, of course, at an organization, this should be essential. All parts of the process of going from recruitment to hiring to onboarding mm-hmm. to everything and anything that comes after that. But at the same time, what it does is, if you're preaching that sort of a thing, individuals then have the opportunity to look in the mirror and say, what are my values? How am I aligning myself? It it almost puts a little bit of ownership and accountability on the individual as well, as I'm hearing you Mm -hmm. sort of talk through this. You know, I I speak about buy-in now and this concept, like people always talk about how do we assess buy-in daily? It's like, well, you actually sold buy-in when you recruited the individual. So it's about honoring and respecting the buy-in. It's not about seeing it increase and improve, the engagement is what they're actually talking about. You're talking about disengaged employees that need to become engaged. So here you are saying like through this process of getting an individual to come and work for you, there's an opportunity for you as an organization to look in the mirror and say, who are we? What do we stand for? And how do we continue to invest in the strengthening and the growth of that? And then how do we recruit that into the organization to make sure we don't have those Inevitable gaps and disconnect That will come down the road otherwise
1: Yeah, absolutely And here's where uh, there's some pushback On the Mm. the world And I want to address that So a lot of people will say In theory, sounds great However, Dennis Have you read any newspapers lately Or listened to any podcasts? You know, (laughs) there's a war for talent out there There's There's a very tight labor market I don't live in a cave I know what's going on But here is the solution to this And it sounds a little the contrarian or counterintuitive. One of the things to do is if you're looking to fill some more vacancies, do not lower your expectations or your standards. Do the opposite. Raise them up. Now, people go, Dennis, that's nuts. <laughs> we can't, even when we're lowering our standards, you know, uh, the, the, our new standards is if they can fog up a, a mirror, they're in. Uh, well, you know, you do that, you will live to regret that. Uh, several reasons why. Now, number one, if you are really that desperate and you're going to pick anybody, you know, the bottom of the, of the proverbial barrel, if you will, you are going to be very frustrated with that individual. There, mm-hmm. there are going to be attitudinal issues. And, you know, uh, let, me, let me just share one thought on this. When you're dealing with a performance issue or, or something that's not meeting expectations, It boils down to one of only two things, guys. It is either a training issue or it's an add-to-no problem. When you when you pare it down, and I've got this this assessment of 10 logical questions like a decision tree, right? It says, okay, Mm -hmm. it will expose if you have a a focused conversation with any employee and they're falling short of expectations. Either it's a training issue, then great. It's a training issue, you've identified it, then train them. Problem goes away. Or it's an attitudinal no problem or challenge or blockage or whatever you want to call it. Here is the reality, guys: that no amount of money and training and development will ever solve the issue until you resolve with them. Ultimately, they have to resolve that attitudinal no blockage. And if you cannot get beyond that, then you got to part, just cut your losses and part ways. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the fallacies is where organizations keep dumping smart money into training when it's an attitudinal issue. Now, Mm. the training issue, easy to solve. So all this to say, okay, so you've got the challenges if you've hired the wrong person. Now, not only will that person not work out, that they're probably going to do a whole bunch of expensive things that are, you know, it's the learning curve is going to be much longer. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to take off customers. They're going to have a negative impact on, on their coworkers. That not only are you probably going to have to replace them and go through the whole cycle again, which is a pain, but also they're going to negatively impact their coworkers. Study after study after study says this very clearly, that the number one reason why people do not leave an average-paying job, it's the nature of the people they're stuck to work with, not the nature of the job itself. It's a fact. So by lowering your standards, you're also sending a very pervasive message to all your local teammates who have been working, who have been engaged, who have been putting in their effort, that basically that you do not value them. Yeah, you you Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, you finish your thought. Finish your thought.
1: No, I was just going to say you're you're actually compounding the issue now. So what you're doing is not only do you have that original uh, hire that's not working out, but you're bringing the toxin into the workplace. And uh, in fact, Yale University recently uh, released a stat, fascinating stat, that out of a team of five people, if there's only one toxic person out of a team of five, that your top performer, this is the one you want to hang on to, your top performer, if they have to spend more than an hour on average day with that toxic person on a team of only five people has a, 59% Fifty-nine percent probability of leaving the job. Why? Mm. They're a top performer. They can go get a job anywhere. Think of the damage to your organization. So, what you got to do, in my estimation, is you got to rise your expectations. Yeah, you, you absolutely. Got, and, and by communicating that, you, you're going to actually. Yeah. Here's the point: there's not a ton of people that are unemployed right now. In fact, the people that are chronically unemployed, you want to hire anyway. But there's a mm. whole bunch of passive job seekers, people that are gainfully employed, good workers that they're just looking for a better opportunity. And I don't mean necessarily mm-hmm. more money. I'm talking about a, a more proactive uh, employer that will make the wise investment into their people. Mm. This is, if you super serve your people, it's a customer service. What's your best form of, of advertising? Word of mouth. What's your best form of advertising as an employer of choice? It's employee referrals. It's word of mouth. Guys, we don't know our brand. We know we, we throw our brand up on our website and go, our mission, our brand. BS. Hmm. Our brand is not what we say it is. It's what our clients and what our employees say it is. And that is an earned thing.
0: Love that last bit. It is an earned thing because it, it, it goes from both ways too. If an employee sees the employer prioritizing that very insight saying, hey, we want to know. We want to know what you're experiencing within this culture. It's amazing how suddenly now the employee wants to give more to that employer. They want to show up more consistently. Yes. They want to act, they're being heard, they're being seen. And then we now we can start to actually focus on that individual investment and individual development. And I think so much of what you're saying here is just resonating with me greatly in the sense of the conversations that I have out there today. When I hear about frustrations with said person and frustrations with this person, it's just a lot of the time it's a complete misunderstanding of they don't know what's expected of them. This individual has expectations that aren't even really being shared or understood. And there's a lot of just mixed communication going on in a shared space. And then you end up with someone that can potentially become toxic because their attitude starts to become kind of crappy because they're not really feeling as though they're in the right place. And to your point, then suddenly now it's like, the damage can really start to then accelerate based on who it is that's being surrounded by that toxic individual, and we could we could stay on this for for hours. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of stuff here, but with us being in this space of just sort of individual development now, mm-hmm. I now want to bring it back to this new book of yours around business resiliency and just the the resilient mindset, the resilient individual. You know, my background in sport. I could I could pick them out in a lineup. you know. Anyone that showed Resilience Daily, I was like, let me coach them and let me coach them all day because I know that no matter what I throw at this individual, hmm. even if it's too much at times, they're going to find a way to even communicate that very sentiment. And I'm going to respect it more because I know how they handle the adversities that I consistently throw at them. Right. I'm just curious, just based on the genesis of the book, the premise of the book, etc. Talk to us firstly about the book. I'd love to just hear about the book to begin with, but then let's maybe dive in a little bit to this whole concept around resiliency as well.
1: Absolutely. So the book... Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Natalie Beauchamp. So Natalie is a chiropractor. Uh, She practices up in Ottawa, Canada. She's also a speaker. She's done some executive coaching and that kind of stuff. Uh, And just a dynamo, just a very, very bright lady. So um, we were talking about some ideas and uh, the notion of hormesis uh, came up. Now, I'm going to describe what that means because some of your listeners may not know what horm- hormesis means. But the title of the book basically is about building unshakable business resilience. And the subtitle is really in a sense of how to leverage hormesis uh, essentially for the wealth of your business and the health of your people. So it's, it's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, but mm-hmm. let's let's unpack it. So on that book, we co- we basically co-authored two books. So I was the lead author on the business book, and then the second book is really a toolkit. It's a health toolkit for the individual themselves. Which obviously, as as a medical, really doctor, um, you know, she was the lead author on that. But and I can share thoughts from both of those those books. But what we did is we said, okay, hormesis. Hormesis is a scientific or medical uh, notion or philosophy that basically says this, that by deliberately adding in some sort of stressors or toxin into the body, uh, if it doesn't kill you, it does what? It makes us stronger. So the idea is we can build resilience within our bodies by deliberately having these hormetic challenges. I'm going to give you your classic ones, and, and your people will know this stuff. For example, uh, doing a lot of exercise uh, that that will make you stronger. But, however, you can overdo that, so you know you got to find that balance. Uh, s- strength, uh, stress, you know, dealing with stressful thoughts and complex, uh, you know, problem solving. Uh, also, nutrition and 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 also fasting. So so these are, you know, cold plunging as well as heat, heat like a sauna. Uh, Again, you stick yourself in enough uh, cold water long enough, you're going to die. But in short doses, there's also evidence that proves that it builds body resilience, okay? So we said, we start talking about this, and we said, okay, organizations are desperately seeking ways to become more resilient, Particularly given the pandemic and everything else. And it's not just the pandemic. Think of how technology is, is, um leapfrogging faster and faster. Uh, There's so many uh, disruptors. I mean, think about it. You know, maybe 12 years ago, you and I were talking around. I said, hell, Steve, I got an idea. Man, this is going to be awesome. So listen, what we can do, you see, this is going to be so good. We're going to make a lot of money, Steve. What we're going to do is we can have a whole bunch of taxi cabs. We're going to create the world's largest taxi cab company, but we won't even own cars. Uh, people listen to us would think we're smoking the good stuff. Well, what am I talking about? I'm talking about Uber or Lyft or any of these, right? Well, that's just an example. Airbnb, these are all massive disrupt, uh, disruptors that change the world. So with all of these things happening, plus the pandemic and, 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 organizations are understanding they have got to develop resilience. Now, resilience means a whole lot of things. For example, resilience uh within the organizational setting could be certainly um being very clever with your money, not overly extending yourself, having access to capital, uh, all this kind of stuff. So there's financial, there's risk uh tolerances, uh having a uh you know a smart balanced portfolio of clients so that you're not relying just on one mega client that if, if all of a sudden they go out of business, you're now dead. Um there's compliance issues, there's software, there's cybersecurity, there's a host of things. That's not what the book's about. Um, the, My common area, let's go back to my martial arts days, uh, early days. What I absolutely loved, and, and what gets me up in the morning, you know, you said, what's your day look like? Any day, and this is most days, any day I'm up there, and I'm making a human connection, and I am offering up, human-generated uh, and human-driven solutions that are going to move organizations forward, that's what gets me fired up. In fact, what I like to say is I provide what I call what I would call the high-impact, low-cost, people-driven solutions. Whether the challenge is we're losing our sales or we want to take advantage of a new uh, market penetration thing or we've got high employee turnover or we don't know how to attract retain or develop, whatever it is, To me, the answer is, and I'm not knocking software, I'm not knocking investing in that new conveyor belt or whatever, capital equipment. But at the end of the day, if you do not have your people firing on all cylinders, none of those investments will you be able to capitalize on and get your return on investment. So Mm -hmm. I'm always looking, and I pride myself in finding very incredibly cost-effective ways to leverage people efficiently not just to get the ROI out of them, but to also have them become truly enabled, engaged members, long-term members of the organization that, that, that pour back into, go be above and beyond what the expectation is and, and really pr- become part of the solution moving forward. So, so the book takes that mindset. It's what are the things you can do within your organization to how do you attract these people first of all? How do you pre-screen them? How do you how do you uh, you know you used the word earlier, onboarding? What do you, mm. what can you do uh to get these people to accelerate the learning curve, reduce uh turnover, reduce absenteeism, reduce conflict, uh increase profitability, enhance safety, all of these benchmark things that we can measure? Uh, and do it in a way that's going to drive resilience. How do, how do we actually make an agile workforce that, that leans into, don't just capitulate and puts up with alice uh, of agility, but leans into it and says, man, this is where I want to be. This is where I, I, I you know I, I plant my flag right with this organization. Why? Ultimately, I call this cause alignment. Earlier I talked about values alignment. Yeah. Cause alignment is when you take it to the next level. Now you're living on purpose. So as an individual, if you see whether you that organization where they're going, what they truly stand for and and what are the things they do not just to, on the money on the bottom line perspective, but above and beyond as players and contributors to the community, uh, as innovators in, in the space. Um, and ultimately that becomes more mission and cause oriented. When you have, a, you look to your own core purpose and, and what you stand for as a human being, realizing that, well, you know, you have to put in 40, 50 hours a week, whatever it is. Uh, you know, most people are not independently wealthy, so they got to work. But it becomes more of a point of passion and connectivity that cause alignment. Man, um, life is great when that happens. And so I help organizations create those scenarios. And then, of course, anybody who feels that way about their employer um, becomes absolutely unstoppable in what they can accomplish. You know, it's um, going back to you talk about your book for a second. You know, you breaking through that glass. Right. Um, mm. Unbelievable. It's mm. when you can turn on those lights within someone. And obviously, you've got to resource and property, give them the right tools and everything else. But as a minimum, we should be doing that for our employees anyway. But when yeah. we can create that spark within that individual, and then within that team, uh, unbelievable things can happen, and yeah. do happen,
0: and do happen exactly. And I think that's the what I what I love about so much so much of of this content of of our conversations over the past few years, like there's a simplicity element to it. And and in no way is that disrespecting the work that either you or I are doing, but there's a simplicity element to it. And everything that you're describing here to me, it's like, if if you told a business owner, Hey, as you're starting this business, you founded this business. As you go on this journey, there's going to be times where you have to take a few risks where you have to get out of your comfort zone. Does that sound like something that's realistic? And they're going to say, yeah, of course, absolutely. I'm not just going to trip and fall over into a successful business, you know? So, Why is it we're not expecting the same from the individuals that we then hire? It's just like, listen, you don't want these people to come in and remain in their comfort zone. You want them to have this element of, hey, not only do I see a difficult situation or an adversity or or a lot of hard work in front of me, but I'm actually gravitating towards it, and here's why. And, and the company themselves have done their due diligence in educating that individual to say, this is why. This is why we run towards the adversity. We run towards the the hardships and the, 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 the work that goes into just significant uptake and growth. And the more you start to focus on that through, as you said, the onboarding and, and through all the other parts that come with that, All of those moments are going to become so much cleaner, so much more efficient. There's going to be so many less sort of surprises as you're going through that as well. And as you said too, there's this pride element that comes with it as well. People are are excited to be a part of it because they know what's on the other side. They're going to feel better about it. They're going to be excited about it. And they're going to show up and they're going to represent the brand that is the organization that they're actually working for. Again, it's just, it's simple to say. (laughs) <laughs> but I know for whatever reason around the globe, over thousands upon millions of businesses, for whatever reason, it's not easy to do.
1: No, it's not. But again, it all starts with leadership and, and mm-hmm. establishing that that culture. You know, So when we're talking about the hormetic challenges, right, hormesis, leveraging hormesis – you know, I'm not talking about, okay, let's, let's go to the lunchroom and we're going to poison their soup and, you know, it's going to make them stronger or we're going to so stress them <laughs> out. I'm not talking about that, but, you know, in our, in, in the book, we don't actually refer to it as like a bunch of stressors per se. We're more, we call the term stretching. So it's yeah. about stretching beyond comfort zone. One of the absolute most challenging limitators within the workplace is comfort zones. Uh, and that can be described as, well, we've always done it this way, or it's not my job, or how, well, however you want to mention it. But but it's, it, by extension, it's all meaning the same thing. It's that we have created a neurological habit uh, that becomes a bit of the old school broken record. You're stuck in that groove. Now, the moment that happens is not only will people not see a tsunami that's, that's a real risk heading towards them because they're so complacent into that groove um, that they won't even see it, let alone come up with some creative ideas on, on how to deal with it proactively before it blindsides the operation. So it's this kind of, of thinking. And again, I, I, I don't want to make this sound like this, this podcast is all about recruiting people or the selection process. But you have to start with, with very strong people. Now you have who you have within your existing team. I'm not suggesting you get rid of them all and rehire. No, there's existing uh, leadership things that you need to do to develop your people. But every time you have a new person, you definitely want to raise the bar. So, for example, you want to look at to what extent are, are people willing to come out of their comfort zone? So you can ask them, I mean, you know, typical questions that, and uh, that some employers might ask is, um, are you are you uh, open minded for new things? Yeah, sure I am. Uh, how do you, you know? How do you handle stress? Super duper great. Next right. question. That sucks. That's horrible. Yeah. You know, you got to You got to dig right. So, other yeah. a, a different approach would be, for example, something like this. So, so, Steve, you know, you're applying for a job. The team, you know, just to share a little bit with you, Steve, is that. Um, pretty dynamic team there's a lot of you know sometimes you'll be working on a project and then all of a sudden one of the engineers or somebody's going to realize that no no that's not going to work so you got to literally pivot all that work seems like you're throwing it in the garbage so so steve how, how do you deal with that and then so steve answers and then and i say, well that's awesome uh, steve give me an example uh, of a of um, a specific thing that happened to you that that, that relates to this what did you do about it? And then I asked well, what frustrated you about it? And I dig and I dig and I dig. So in other words, I look at the nature of the entire team, the whole organization, and also the nature of the job. And I say, okay, from a resilience perspective, what are the human characteristics that I am seeking? And then I am looking at real, um, I'm looking for evidence that this exists. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I can see it in the in the covering letter. I can see it in the resume. I can see it, uh, and I'm actively seeking it during the interview. Uh, I also am a huge advocate of going out and doing reference checks. I want I, I will pose very specific questions about certain, you know, problem solving or whatever you know, innovative thinking or or dealing with failure or whatever you want to call it or or disappointment. If you don't like the word failure, uh, I will do a three sixty perspective deep dive. To see what the character is of the person. Hmm.
0: It's so important. Absolutely I mean, critical. And and just what I've loved about all of this that you've kind of taken us on here through this through this episode is that you could easily be listening to this and hear it through this lens of just organization, company, teams, groups, etc. But every single one of these insights that you provided in that area is equally, if not even more important for the individual as well. Absolutely. And that, you know, when you talk about resilience, it's all about individual resilience. I love this notion of stretching beyond the comfort zone. Again, it, what it does is it certain word, I've, I've always been an advocate for words and, and that word immediately comes to mind. I, I just think of myself right before I'm about to go for a run and the, the 38-year-old Steve is not the 18-year-old Steve and, and that stretch is it's not a nice stretch. It's, it doesn't feel good. But then the run itself is more difficult than the stretch that I started the run with. And then the run actually then takes me back to that stretch when I'm done to stretch again. And lo and behold, stretch is a little easier because I've just come from a much more intense run. My body's a bit more warmed up. I've been challenged a little bit more. So even just the physical idea of stretching and the way it works with our bodies our minds they're there to do the same you know we we, our minds are there to be stretched if it's uncomfortable at first put yourself in some sort of simulation in some sort of repetition of what it is you're asking the mind to do and then go back and lo and behold the next time you do it it's not going to seem like as great of a stretch in fact you're going to realize that there's comfort zones so much further beyond you you know
1: Absolutely, and and if you have, for example, someone who um, is like-minded that that wants to be part of the uh, the solution with the team, what I have found my research, and I've done so much research with this over the last three plus four almost four decades now, um, on this notion of blockages to to coming out of your comfort zone or stretching, uh, and it's really basically two words: fear and judgment. Hmm. People fear failing. And they and they really uh, are apprehensive that they're going to be poorly judged for their efforts. Mm. So one of the things is when we're looking for people, we want to find people that are strong enough that don't crumble, that ha- that are self starters uh, mm. and aren't as as let's say as soft. Um, but secondly, we also want to create an environment that allows people. In fact, I. I I use the word failure because people know what I'm talking about, but I don't even like the word failure. Uh, hmm. Well, I'll call it as a you know a missed uh, you know perspective, um, a disappointment, or alternative results. Uh, why? I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to come across being so politically correct that everybody who participates gets a ribbon. I'm not saying that. Because I, I do believe in life, there are people who will come first place, and by definition, there are someone's going to come last place. And we've got to mm-hmm. call it what it is, okay? However, that being said, within the environment uh, context, I am convinced that leadership has to create a, 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 an environment where people uh, will not be re- reticent to, to try to put their best foot forward and fail. And well, you know, and, and a failure. And here's the here's, here's the rub on this: it's only a failure if we didn't learn from it. Exactly. I mean, think think of it. You know, an effective salesperson, they're going to try all these different closing techniques, and they're going to keep going back, and they try this, and they try that, unless they, you know, the, the client changes the the, the lock on the door. Uh, And says, go away, I never want to talk to you. But that frequency of contact, that frequency in building the relationship and listening to find out what the real client's real needs are and repositioning, and finally you make the sale. So somebody who could have been observing that uh, as an apprentice-type salesperson say, failure, 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 failure. No, it wasn't failure. Mm -hmm. This is active learning until eventually you get the desired results. So... I know that any organization that creates an environment of active experimentation while learning from it and sharing these best processes and, and and techniques and ideas and lessons learned these are the organizations that will do exceedingly well in these most turbulent of times that we're going to be heading into they mm. will flourish
0: yep and that for me it's just funny and it's very again I don't mind sometimes just, Saying, "Hey, I'm I'm pretty good at something like this," and and so for me, people have come to me in in the last two years as I've built what I've built, and I've done it in the length of time I've done it. And again, I'm not I'm not anywhere near being a, a global thing or or anything like that, but I'm far enough along in this process for people to notice what I'm doing and come mm-hmm. in and say, "How have you done it so quickly?" And for me. It's just that belief that there is no such thing as a failure. The day I fail will be the day I go downstairs to my wife and say I quit. You know that sure. that will be the day that I fail, and as far as I'm concerned, that day is never coming. So for for, for where we are at this point in life, as individuals, the, the more we can find and do the work to notice, even if it feels like a failure in the moment. How can you do the work to find that one thing that you can take from it that gives you just enough of an insight to realize that this wasn't, in fact, a failure, that it was, in fact, a lesson, and there is, in fact, an opportunity for you to grow and build and just keep moving, even if you feel like all momentum's lost, just to reestablish something. And the fact is, Dennis, man... you're going to have to come back on because this we're going to put a pin in this conversation right here and we're going to do this again maybe 6, 9, 12 months from now and, and just continue the conversation because as I said earlier at the beginning, there's something about the word that you do that will always be relevant and I think there's always going to be something going on whenever we talk within the current climate that meets something that you offer and, and your expertise and gives us a great reason for you to be on. But before I let you go, I have to ask you this. I ask this question just about with everybody these days. The word in this show, competitor, it's right there in the title. Mm. And then when you look in the mirror and you think, Dennis Covier, the competitor, how would you describe that part of your personality?
1: I'm a caring, compassionate competitor. I am mm. I am competitive. I am, I am a goal setter. Um, mm. But... I compete more against myself than anybody else, to be honest. And, you know, you, I believe you're using the word uh, collaborative competitor. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I like that. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I, I like that that notion and that really resonates with me, but I would say for me, I'm, I'm a compassionate competitor that, that it's about how do I, when I'm competing with others and myself, how do I not only bring out the best in me, but I also bring out the best of them because again, um, you and I and so many more are all part of this human potential movement you know mm-hmm. whether you're a trainer or a coach whatever it's all about the human potential right uh, and I get jazzed up that if if I'm pouring into somebody else, they assuming they're awakened and you know taking the, the process seriously, they will get better they will they will develop an edge but in the process of me trying to super serve them, I'm invariably, being introspective, finding out, okay, what are my blind spots? Where do I need to work? Or I know this is a bright person. They're going to ask me a question about this. This is something I have not researched in a while. I need to go back and whatever, 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 right? Um, so in, if your natural disposition is to be of massive service in whatever you do in life, if you are, if you are a massive, provide massive service to enough people, the universe will serve you very well,
0: hmm.
1: and and I think if you want to call that being a competitor, that works for me. I like yep. that. That fits. Yep.
0: I'm with you. I'm with you on that. We speak. We speak from a very similar similar uh, book when it comes to that of uh, of what we do and the worlds that we work in, and and what I've loved over the years of of this podcast is. Uh, The the tens and now hundreds of people that have come on the show that share similar sentiments to yourself when it when it means Mm. being competitive is that that version of yourself and how you show up and serve others. Um, But as I said, I could keep talking to you for a long 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 time and I probably will once we're done recording and I'm sure we'll talk again very soon. But Dennis, more than anything, man, I just appreciate the time, the insights. I know this is content that needs to be heard. I'm excited to hear how it's received and in the meantime. Uh, just continued success and best of luck, and enjoy what sounds like a, a somewhat of a regenerative time before the pickup, the hockey stick take up in the uh, in the fall starts to come back around. So all the best with that, brother, and, and great visiting with you.
1: Thanks, Steve. Always great connecting, and I appreciate this opportunity. Take care, brother.
0: Thanks again for listening to this episode of Career Competitor. And before you leave, be sure to take advantage of your free one-time discovery call with me to see how I can be of service to you as a coach or potentially even your team. Depending on what it is you're looking for at this point within your career, I want to be able to serve you with 30 minutes of my time to see how I can be of use to you and help you on your path of continued growth towards your optimal self in order to find optimal performance. Be sure to reach out to me, steve at koreacompetitor.com or just head to the website koreacompetitor.com. I look forward to connecting with you soon and bye for now.